Welcome back to the Strictly Conversational Podcast, where we have very strict and serious conversations only. As always, I'm your host, Bailey Hunt, and with me is my wonderful co-host, Noah DeGeorge. Noah, how are you doing today? It's been a it's been an interesting day. Um, work is fine. Uh, I, I've been binging a new TV show, which we'll talk about later. How's the weather going for you? Oh, my God. <laughs> Actually, it's really cold, and my allergies don't appreciate it. Yeah, so. no is allergic to the cold, in case anybody didn't know. Yeah. But, you know, I'm sad that you um, are having a rough, cold day, but we have a we have a guest with us. Mr. Garrett McDowell is on the podcast with us. Garrett, how are you doing? Hello, everyone. Long-time listener, first-time caller on the podcast. Uh, and it's about time. It is about gosh dang time. You guys were like, hey, do you want to come on this podcast? And I almost wanted to be like, no, out of spite, because it took you this long, <laughs> this long to invite me on this show. Um, but no, well, I'm okay, very, let me, very let happy me ask to be you here. Something. Let me ask you something. If you were to like want to be on the show, what would your dream topic be of conversation? Because like I feel like the stuff that we talk about is just so like the three of us would have a normal conversation about it, but it's nothing to put down in audio format. Are you saying you know? like out of the shows that you have had, which one would I want to be on the oh. most? Um, <laughs> no, 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 the, no. The answer to that question is the religion and like Lord of the Rings conversation or whatever that was, because I oh, know yeah. literally yeah. nothing about the, the both of those topics, and I would love to just throw a <laughs> wrench, <laughs> just throw a wrench in that entire conversation go, as a whole. Well, <laughs> like, what's the... I mean, who's who, right? <laughs> like Saruman is actually like a, 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 an analogy for, I don't know, the woman at the well. You know, that's a character. <laughs> that's a you character, can, You right? can make a case. Well, you, you, can just, make a case. you just sounded like you knew more about it than you let on. That so. sounds like a theology paper that you definitely wrote. <laughs> that sounds like a theology paper that I would have been assigned and then I would have just BSed my entire way through it and just Googled a bunch of stuff and Wikipedia would and then, have... Uh, and a red pin at the top. It says, great job, Garrett. Thanks, guys. Yeah. I really appreciate it. Hey, and then I get a... a a couple of years doing that and got a bachelor's degree. So apparently it worked, man. <laughs> That's what it's like. We're going to a private Christian institution, everybody. Um, so uh, what's our topic today? So our topic is we are talking about um, horror films. And the longest, I've known Garrett probably longer than anybody else besides my family on the planet. And my mom. And all, and, and, <laughs> yeah, right, and Michelle. Um, and the entire time I've known Garrett, Garrett's been a huge fan of horror movies. So... Um, horror movies are a passive interest of mine, right? They're actually something that's that pretty the, generous for the honestly. longest time that I was like really scared to watch. Like, like when I was like a, a kid, one of my, my most like the, the nightmares that I remember the most is like being chased by like Freddy Krueger into like a, a warehouse and I'd never even seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, I've told my Jaws story on the podcast before, I think. Have you? I, I don't know. Remind us. I watched Jaws when I was eight years old at a sleepover and um, it was when I was living in Chicago and my friend's house was next to um, the L line. So like the, you know, the, the train. Um, and I had, I like couldn't go to sleep until three in the morning because I thought a shark was going to jump off the train and come through the window because I was so scared I couldn't even finish Jaws. It's, it's and I like called my mom and I was like, come pick me up. There's like irrational fears out there. And I think a lot that kids have is like, oh, you're going to be in a pool and a shark's going to be there. Like that's like <laughs> B tier level of like irrational fears. The irrational fear that Jaws going to somehow from the ocean yeah. <laughs> take a train. Jaws is going to take public transit to your apartment. The Lincoln, no. you're grabbing the bar. The Lincoln Park Zoo runs 
right by the red line. <laughs> I just imagine him just like on the train and you know, people are trying to squeeze past Fixing him. He's like, oh, time. sorry, you know. It's it's that scene from Joker where he kills those guys, but it's just Noah. Oh, four and he's times. got a, his like plastic bag is stuck in the door. Yeah. And he's like, oh man. I want to see uh, Bruce the shark like give up his seat for like a, an older lady and he's just like standing yeah. there. Oh yeah, that's that's great. So yeah, Very that's that's a pretty thing. irrational fear there, buddy. <laughs> but that's my experience with horror movies as a kid too, is I, I wasn't into horror movies either mm-hmm. until yeah. late time, you know. Garrett, what was the the first horror movie that you, you remember seeing and like immediately loving? Like what was your what was your first favorite? Um well, it's it's interesting cuz like I grew up on movies that like had this kind of horror veneer to them or like this this shades of horror but were also like appropriate for kids to watch. So I grew up on like uh, Beetlejuice in particular, which is a horror Gremlins. comedy, yes. but it's also uh you know very appropriate for kids and there are like flashes of horror and I remember distinctly yeah. being like I'm kind of creeped out right now but I kind of like it, you know. And then there's movies like um that and then also you kind of have those moments of like, you know, in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, there's like that really yeah. terrifying tunnel sequence. But the movie as a whole is not a horror movie. It's just kind of the pieces, you know, that uh, like that just are out of context are pretty horrifying. The first, I think proper, an argument could be made, though. Oh, honestly. I mean, the, that he's a serial killer and that he's murdering. <laughs> yeah, all these children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, their argument's definitely Nothing there. Um, yeah. The first proper horror movie that I ever watched um, was uh, Sleepy Hollow. Uh, which is a rated R movie. And I watched that when I was six years old. And that's specifically because um, when my sister was younger, she like watched it like creeping from her door. Like my mom was watching it and she was, Lauren was my, Lauren, my sister was just like watching it from her bedroom. My mom eventually noticed her and was like, all right, you can come on in and finish it. And so that was the the rule is that she watched it when she was six. And so when I was six, I would then watch the movie and it's still like not that super scary. It's mostly just like kind of violent and kind of this folk horror the first movie to really creep me out was 1408, um, the John Cusack, Samuel Jackson movie. That movie scared the wits out of me because like I'd never watched a, like a horror movie like that before. I didn't know what was going to happen. I thought like a demon was going to reach out of the TV, much like Bruce the shark there and just start <laughs> just start wailing on me. Um, but yeah, I just kind of started this lifelong um, obsession and um you know, passion of mine to kind of pursue these more macabre kind of films. And uh, yeah, I'm glad you guys uh, thought of me to bring on the podcast to have this conversation. No one better to talk about it. Um, yeah, that's, that's right. I think that's the thing is there, <laughs> there is nobody that we would rather talk to about stuff like this now that most of us are knowledgeable uh, up to your level. So, yeah. Uh, um, I, I was just thinking of that scene in Monsters, Inc. when like Boo gets in bed and he's like, there's no monster in the closet. I mean, now there is. It's just Garrett to television. <laughs> it's just like the demon going to crawl out of the TV. Uh, me next to uh, Billy Crystal who's like slipping on a banana peel or whatever he does at the end of that movie. Swallowing yeah. the microphone and... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Or when he gets crushed by a by like a stereo, like a speaker just hits on his head. <laughs> yes. What's the, what's the uh, jabroni's name at the beginning of that movie? Who's um he's like uh, it's Flem. Flem. His yeah. friends call him Flem. <laughs> Mr. Vile. Mr. Vile. Yeah. That guy. He could yeah. let in a draft, man. He's there too. I, yeah. For the longest time, I thought he was saying it could let in a giraffe, and I was like, <laughs> also what does terrifying. That even mean? I think that would be much uh, scarier than a draft because a draft a you draft. get a little chilly and, and a wild animal. I don't even know where I'd put that. He came yeah. straight from the Lincoln Park Zoo. <laughs> got off the train get... and entered. <laughs> the giraffe is also <laughs> their buddies. They, 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 they like they like share an awkward look and they're like, oh, same stop. Th- yeah, they, they didn't buy cars because you know they're saving the planet by by taking the L train. Um, so anyway, this conversation sort of, I guess, came about when Noah started watching like a string of horror movies that he was just like not super into and mm-hmm. was realizing. 
uh, different themes that they were going for that didn't quite pan out. And he wanted to bring that to the podcast. So, Noah, why don't you go ahead and, and, and take this? Yeah. So Here you go. It's yours. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, you're welcome. So I've, I've watched a lot of, um, I would say, more blockbuster horrors recently because I've been really missing like a good blockbuster horror. Um, and, and what happens with these movies is, uh, that there's something that's like really trying to be said. Obviously any movie that you watch, there's something to be said, um, behind what you're actually seeing. Um, but the way that blockbuster horrors work is that they also need to connect with an audience and relate to people. Um, and I can think of so many examples that we can, you know, talk about in just a little bit of movies that have done this so well to where they stand out. And even Garrett and I were talking about this. Um, I think it was post uh, recording uh, an episode of our show mm -hmm. about like the concept of, of elevated horror yeah. and how it's like, you know, there, the people want to make a distinction between something like, uh, you know, Friday the 13th and something like psycho where it's like, no, but, but one of those actually like, you know, it means something. Yeah. It's trying to say something right. where that is, it's sometimes a frustrating thing to, to distinguish movies by, um, because you'll watch these blockbuster horrors and find out, Hey, they're actually trying to say something as well. Mm -hmm. However, um, as Bailey said, there's been a string of movies recently that I've seen that are trying to say something, but the message is kind of getting tangled up in the fact that they are presenting it as a scary monster or a scary idea and it's making everything worse. Um, so before we get into that, want to kind of go into why horror can actually tell these stories um, that have kind of an emotional or metaphorical backdrop um, that actually hits. And like we can go around and, and yeah. go with, you know, one that uh, that stands out to us. Um, I, I can go last if, yeah. if you want. So mm -hmm. sort of like what the horror genre um, at its best means to us. So like what's the best thing that it can accomplish? And then an example of that. Yeah, from exactly. All of us. Yeah. Uh, Gary, do you want to go first? Yeah, well, horror is really interesting um, in a similar way that comedy is, is that it can be a, a tool that we use to combat certain feelings or things that are happening in the real world or personally that sure. may be a bit difficult to talk about. So the same way that comedy, by laughing at something, you kind of reduce its power a little bit and you're able to digest it in a more just that, like digestible way. Um, I no, I'm not alone in this. So it made me feel less insane. Um, but during the like lockdown, like peak lockdown period, I watched a lot of horror movies. Uh, and that like oh, yeah. felt very good for me is to kind of, yeah. that was like my form of like decompression in a way. Um, because looking at something that is so overtly terrifying was somehow more comforting, uh, than like confronting the real horrors of the world at the time. Um, and I think that horror as a genre is really apt in, uh, in, in kind of uh, confronting these different ideas uh, that could be uh, personal, societal, whatever. Um, but it's also within the genre of horror. There's so many different subgenres within that, that its approach to doing this can be completely starkly serious or very silly and outlandish. And I love that there's that flexibility in horror and it doesn't have to be one or the other. That just because it's maybe not super, super scary – 
doesn't mean that it's a bad piece of horror. I love that there's that flexibility and that sense of play within horror, but just kind of yeah. using these darker elements or themes or ideas to explore something like uh, like Beetlejuice, for example, has like real world ideas and real world themes and universal fears that we all have. But it looks with it uh, looks at it with uh, a more humorous tone. But then it's also ghosts and monsters and the afterlife and all that kind of fun spooky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. I think you, you touched on a lot of, you know, people, people I think, take for granted these days, uh, these days, you know, this generation. <laughs> Let me tell you. Kids these days. Um, yeah, kids these Am I days. Right, always guys? on that, yeah. on that TikTok. <laughs> um, um, but uh, these, these, like, current horror times, it seems like everybody's striving for that sense of elevated horror. Like, we got to say something, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we're not fully understanding like the reason that it works so well to begin with as this like this thing of escapism and like looking at these ideas that are at the core very very fun I mean like a lot of teenagers like have a lot of core memories going to haunted houses for a reason yeah not because they go to have a cathartic moment (laughs) to talk about grief or whatever it's because they really they really do experience something really really fun there um now I guess to kind of contradict what I just said I think the first time that I really like started to connect with horror as a genre was when I started, I, I guess, investing more into like independent horror with these guys, like watching A24 movies yeah. and that sort of thing. Because before that, I was like, oh, things go bump in the dark. Like I'm, I'm a very anxious person, so I'm scared of everything. Mm-hmm. And then when then I realized that they could be used in a way to cope with the feelings that we all have mm-hmm. of like, I don't know whether it, it is grief, whether it is... Um, something as complicated as a breakup and then taking those feelings and making something super messy Mm -hmm. out of it, I always really admired because I think straight up dramas, straight up comedies, straight up whatever can't quite handle how messy life can be. Mm -hmm. And horror, it's like, give me all the mess of life and we'll see how we can really make people feel that mess. And so the first time that I was like really in love with a horror movie is when I saw Ari Aster's Heredit, or not Hereditary. That movie really affected me, but in a very different way. (laughs) I was going to say, I was in that room, so was Garrett. Were (laughs) you really in love with that? Not loving that one. (laughs) Ari Aster's second film, our second full-length film, Midsommar, because I had just been through a breakup during that period, and I was like, I don't understand how this man in this very complicated way could synthesize my feelings so perfectly. Yeah. Even though they were messy, and they were full of rage, and where they were so full of... um, uh, they were complicated. Mm-hmm. He, I think, really Visceral. handled it super well. Yeah. And also there was a sense of play to that movie that I I also really admired, that it wasn't just doom and gloom and yeah. heartbreak and sadness, but there was like a touch of, uh, like a cheerfulness, joy, a touch of brightness. Butts. Oh, wait, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> just one butt oh, just touching. One, just one. one butt touching in that movie, yeah. sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, that's my, I think, what I think horror can be is um, taking all of our complicated feelings and, again, um, in a very Greek way, making a cathartic experience out of it. That's what I what I what I love about. Yeah, yeah. And I think again, um, because we all have these different perspectives, even mine is um, is a little bit different. It's not, you know, and none of them is exactly the right way to look at it. So it's so interesting to me. Like part of the reason that I seek out um, certain horror movies is to like, and, and I always say this when. Um, when I feel really good about a movie I've just seen is um, not that it needs to do this, but that um, it does something special when it's something I've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, going back to that realism, if I was to watch a horror movie that was to simulate, you know, a day in the life of a teacher's aide um, that has to drive 35 minutes to work, 
and then, you know, deal with a bunch of kids with ADHD and dyslexia, mm-hmm. probably would have uh, really hated that. Uh, because, you know, if that was my life at the time, which it was for a little while, um, you can make that scary, of course, obviously. You can make anything scary. Uh, multiple directors have proved that. But there's an idea of, um, you know, I will, I, I'll, I know that it's not a good movie, but I'll happily sit down and watch The Haunting in Connecticut 2, The Ghosts of Georgia, <laughs> because I'm, I don't live in Georgia, but also, like, it's, what's happening on screen is something that I will never experience in my life. Um, and so there, there's, it's, it's more than just escapism in the sense that, um, there's, you know, you're being presented something that's able to be communicated through a lens of that feels real, but I know that like, I can't confirm that it's real because I've never been there. I've, that's never happened to me, Mm -hmm. but it feels so real when it's done right. Um, that, you know, I can understand the character struggles or I can understand the fear uh, associated with that. And it kind of leads me into, um, and so many movies have done this recently where the main topic, and I'll talk about it a little bit later also with, you know, kind of the inverse, but the main topic is, uh, usually some form of abuse. Um, and that's something that is really real that I fortunately haven't experienced to this extent, but a movie that affected me, um, like, a lot, probably the most in recent time. And I hate to bring this up because this movie is so disturbing. Uh, Possum mm-hmm. on Shudder, yeah. uh, starring Sean Harris. What are you talking about? Is, no, that movie's a hoot. <laughs> I'm just, I, here's it's the an thing. Absolute Spider- laugh riot. <laughs> Spider-Man No Way Home, sit down. There's a new spider in town. It, no, it's, it's like, it's a literal Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. Um, I, there literally. There are a lot of things that I can count Um, probably on one hand that I'm like, okay, I know the things that have disturbed me to my core, Mm -hmm. right? I can count them on one hand. Uh, Possum takes the lead, like by far. Um, And it's one of those things that it's such a, it's such an introspective movie because you know that something deeper is going on um, with the story that they're telling, Mm -hmm. but it's not so, uh, it's not so direct with you to where it's like, no, but it was actually... Uh, it was a metaphor for this all, all along. Like, no, it's still, you know, face value. It's horrifying. And not only that, but you have to understand that, um, what you're seeing in the film is, um, a representation of feelings of the characters in the film. So you're almost twice removed Mm -hmm. from the metaphor. Um, and, and you have to make that connection to say, I'm relating to the characters here because, um, you know, for, for whatever reason, um, for me, that's, something that I feel like as horrifying and disturbing as it is. And like, as much as I would not recommend that movie to anybody that is squeamish, um, it's one of the most effective pieces of horror that I've seen in a long time. Yeah. And something that I heard kind of like actually what you both were talking about with, uh, the, the playful nature of movies like Beetlejuice that are like kind of willing to embrace the absurdity of the situations that these people are in mm-hmm. or like the more, I don't know, tense and disturbing. It's like all about atmosphere, right? So, so one of something that horror can do pretty uniquely is set this atmosphere that kind of can get under your skin mm-hmm. and make you think about what we're not seeing or what we are um, trying or making those connections in our minds between like what the characters are experiencing in the movie or what we've experienced in the past or maybe not experienced. So that element of suspense and tone um, and really, I don't know, uh, really committing to either direction. So my parents recently, they watched the movie Spencer, mm-hmm. 
Well, Yikes, not, that's a scary one. Well, not out and out a horror movie. I know, British this, people, like, are you kidding me? I mean... <laughs> no, those corgis, they really spooked me. Uh, that Though not out and out a horror movie, my mom was talking about it, and she was like, I don't know, like, the music, it just made me feel really icky. And I oh, was yeah. like, that's, I'm right, you know, that's, yeah. that's just the suspense of the movie, oh, yeah. wanting to make you feel like this person who's trapped. In a lot of ways, that is probably one of the better horror movies of 2021, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> really, I'm really good one. right there with you, Laurie, because uh, there's yeah. that movie and then uh, Shiva Baby, which came out last year. And the, both of those movies are not real. overt horror movies, but they have this very unnerving sense to them that are like, hey, yeah. if you have even a smidgen of smo- of social anxiety, boy, is this going to be really uncomfortable for you. Right. <laughs> You're just watching <laughs> it the whole real. time and they're both edited and scored like horror movies, uh, but they are overtly dramas in a way. Uh, yeah. So Spencer, especially, I, ex- I know exactly what you're talking about. That movie has this kind of sensory overload, especially with the score. It's yeah. like this unnerving kind of it's similar to like um, the beginning of The Shining to where that's like this helicopter oh shot God, over yeah. like yeah. the this beautiful river and mountains and these beautiful pine trees and all this kind of stuff. And you've got a happy family who's like going to this hotel, but it's this like horrifying organ, like, yeah. you know, orchestral kind of, uh, it's this weird juxtaposition that makes you be like, oh, okay, something's not quite right here. Same thing with Spencer. It's just like a woman just like in this lovely mansion, like with her family, but because of the score, it kind of lets you know that some Something else terrifying um, is going on on there, yeah. And it's like, I heard someone describe the score as doom jazz, and I can't get that out of my head. (laughs) (laughs) That's my new favorite genre is doom jazz. It's about the notes that you don't play, okay? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Good one. That's a great, great point. So we spent some time kind of talking about what's effective to us or what communicates a lot of meaning to us in horror in particular and just movies as a whole. But um, I think the main crux of the conversation is – trying to talk about what we find maybe less successful or finding the comparisons, like what's successful, what's not successful. Yeah. Not painting horror as this like one, uh, let's say one, what do you call that? Picture. Uh, no, picture. like... <laughs> you uh, paint a picture. my gosh. Uh, it's like a big picture. <laughs> a big picture. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> a poster. So you like paint it on the wall. A canvas. Mir- a mural. A, a mural. mural. Okay. It's like we're not, we're not seeing horror as this one mural that's this one thing, but it's a lot of different pictures. So what's effective, what's not? So I guess I, I also wanted to pose the question before we jump into like what horror is successful and what's unsuccessful. Like I guess what in movies, right? So movies are something that is like a, a really key interest point to all of us. Like mm-hmm, horror is mm-hmm. not maybe my favorite genre, but we've always talked about and seen movies together, right? So whether it's that that, that post-tenant conversation or the post-whatever like whatever conversations that we've had, like what in those conversations have we pointed out to be what's successful, what's not successful in movies as a whole? Like what communicates meaning and what doesn't? I, I have one thing that I feel like has come up a lot. Um, and it, it, because I'm not, you know, close to an expert on what makes a good movie and what makes, you know, a good story or whatever, but I've noticed this trend at least that I feel like is pretty undeniable. Um, this trend in movies that we feel like, yeah, that hit or yeah, that didn't really hit, um, is consistency. And I feel like you can point to a lot of things and say the consistency of the, you know, the, the writing, I think, you know, if the writing is consistent, then that's a plus because you feel that at the end, whether or not that's conscious or subconscious, Mm -hmm. um, if the tone is consistent, then you feel that at the end. Um, I mean, can go back to recent examples and say at the end of a three hour Batman movie, 
um, I was satisfied because I didn't feel like I just watched a couple different movies. I felt like I was yeah. in one movie for three hours and it's because the tone is incredibly consistent. Mm -hmm. um, so consistency like that, I think can, it's not the make or break, but it can make or break the way that we uh, leave the movie theater. Okay. So, so successful tone to you or successful movie to you is like, consistency of tone consistency of world not really ever taking you out of the moment mm -hmm. but keeping you in it and if you ever are disengaged or taken out of the moment that's when it becomes less successful yeah okay good 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 uh good point there garrett what about you i would say um trying to determine intentionality from the filmmaker obviously it's kind of hard to do that when when you're in the movie but <laughs> <laughs> um, when you're watching a movie and there are certain um i often find a lot of times in movies it's like conversations that characters will have or is kind of broadcasting like hey this is what the movie's about hereditary does that really well um yeah. not the first time that we're going to mention this movie or the last in this podcast um For but sure. there's a scene where the teacher is like there's a conversation that he's having when he's teaching the class about the tragedy that like befalls characters in whatever book that they're reading and if you listen to his conversation it's pretty much the movie hereditary and so right. i think trying to keep in mind the intention of the filmmakers and then if your message is supposed to be from screen to my brain like what are the things that's kind of roadblocks in that journey or what are things that are kind of distracting from that point or obscuring that point to where they may try to make a point, but I'm like, well, actually, if you look at this other character or this other idea, you're maybe not being as clear or concise as you'd want to be because you're kind yeah. of contradicting yourself in a certain way. So again, it's kind of hard to determine intentionality um, because, you know, like a Rorschach test or something like that, who's to say that if you see a, a butterfly and I see a bat, who's to say like who's wrong and who's right? It's always yeah. going to be your, um, like what you're bringing to the movie and then what you leave with it. Um, but I think as far as the, the, if we're talking about like deeper meaning or, uh, beyond just the plot of the film, like what is the movie actually about? Um, I think it's, it's good to keep in mind, um, how they communicate that. Is it clear? Is it concise? Do they repeat themselves often? Um, and especially with horror, how do they arrive at that point in a way that's terrifying? Um, do they uh, often rely on scores that are uh, scares that are just jump scares? Or is there an uh, effective atmosphere or tone? But if we're just talking about movies in general, then, yeah, I think it's all about the, you know, um, what's the shortest path from point A to point B? And are there things along the way that maybe are um, unnecessary detours or kind of sidesteps? Hmm. Yeah, those are great point, Garrett. I just trying to see the intentionality and the point, like what we asked ourselves, like what was the point of that? And so being able to easily identify, Oh, that was the point. Mm -hmm. We understand the point very clearly. Kind of, kind of a similar thing is like finding that tone. Like what's the consistency of tone. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that was really, really well said by, um, by the both of you. And sometimes I, I think just to, cause I think that's a, that, that's pretty encompassing of like what makes film successful and unsuccessful. Are you saying that you don't have one to add because we took one of your answers? <laughs> no. I, like well, shoot, you took my answer. <laughs> You're so. like, can I say the, yeah, what he said. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I think something that I, I, I always think is important uh, to film as a medium is like this thing that we're hearing or this thing that we're seeing, how what is proof that it could it could only be accomplished in this way, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we can we can watch a film that's just about conversations. Um, but why is that 
different than watching a play? You know, yeah. How is it accomplishing something different? And so use of, I guess, like you got, you said, intentionality and use of consistency of tone and like using film as a medium to maybe capture something that's a bit grander in scope mm-hmm. um, and more encompassing because on stage you can really only accomplish little. I mean, you can make people feel a lot, but in terms of what you're trying to communicate as a whole, you can only accomplish very little. So um, it has to justify it, the fact that it's a movie. Um, yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. There's a lot of movies I can think yeah. of um, that I've seen recently where I've said like, that would have been better as a short film, yeah. you know, or that would have been better animated, you know, the, the, uh, the, things like that. There's mm-hmm. a movie that I, I saw recently and Garrett and I have talked shortly about it. Um, a movie called Mass that came out last year and it's essentially four people in a room talking. Yeah. But the way the camera moves and also the different interjection shots that communicate something a little bit different, right? It could have been easily a play, yeah. but it makes it more effective to see how they're, blocked in terms of where the camera is and where they are and then yeah. what we're seeing of like the fence post outside the school like only things that we could really really see in a in a very um cinematic way yeah. so um again a movie that really could have easily just been a play and and, and, and needed to be a film to make it uh, more more effective um i like that a lot yeah so yeah. moving into i guess talking about horror movies in particular um noah why don't you go ahead Incite some examples of movies that you've seen recently that you, you maybe that that pretty much sparked this conversation. Yeah. Like, I can think of two movies that you saw that you're like, these movies have very confusing. Yes. You know. Yeah. So, so you so go ahead and take that. We talked we talked about this uh, on the last episode a little bit when I mentioned this that I had thought of this topic after seeing Malignant mm-hmm. and after um, kind of thinking about it a, a lot. Um, I think that that one is sort of out of my brain in terms of. I get. What, hold hold on. <laughs> Very good. Very good joke, Noah. I'm just gonna yeah, go ahead and let, one, let you take a little bow there and just act like you did that completely intentionally. Courtesy. Yeah. Um, oh, it's. Yeah. I, I'm like, in terms of the ones that I'm like, oh, I can point to this and this and this. Like, it's not really one that totally fits on my list. And and the reason for that is that I think that James Wan is going for a lot, and I don't fully like just not fully tracking with all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, you know, some it, people it, have lame taste. It happens to all of us, I guess. <laughs> Listen, man, I gave it a three and a half on Letterboxd. You cannot ask for much more from me. A three and a half is a no to George too, guys. <laughs> like, just, uh, just for inflation. I don't know about that. That's it, it works one way. It doesn't work the other way. Yeah. I'll, I'll um, give you the benefit of the doubt and let you uh, explain yourself a little bit here before I, I, before I, just I dunk think, on you any further. <laughs> okay, fine. Uh, deal. You have a deal. Uh, I just like parts of malignant for me are just like, yeah, I get it. Okay. I get that. Like the representation here is this evil thing that is literally attached to a different side of you. It is a violent side of you mm-hmm. quite literally um, that comes out um, at at the sign of domestic abuse. After an event of domestic abuse, this violent side that you have repressed has come back to the surface and is lashing out, mm-hmm. okay? I get it. I totally get it. Um, I don't think that it's as messy as maybe I posited before. I just think that nice word choice i'm just, i'm just saying it sounds like a new yorker piece over here yeah that's 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 a 10 point <laughs> word right there that's my vocab for the day i honestly am just like yeah no th- there's again it makes sense i get it but um 
I don't think that there's a different way to do it. And this is the conclusion that I've come to with the movie that I really want to spend time talking about. So I'll, I'll wrap this up and then I'll get into it. Um, is that I don't think there's a better way that it could have been done to actually communicate what uh, the movie is clearly wanting to say about the sides of ourselves that are in danger of lashing out um, when we experience some kind of traumatic abuse. Mm -hmm. That's just, you know, I think that that the way that it's uh, represented as this literal, like, cancerous, tumorous, uh, evil creature, you know, whatever... Uh, there's not really a better way to to show that like once you have control, you kind of push it back under the surface um, because it's not like, you know, the, the the happy ending would be, oh, yes, this is part of my trauma and I lash out uh, as a result of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that I've learned to control it, I can live with it. That then means by extension of logic that, you know, the character in the movie has to live with this literal violent tumor that is on the back of her head uh, and and they're going to get along like that's it just doesn't work. Right. Yeah. Um, so I, like I think that one's out of my brain because it's I can't justify yeah, I'm bringing the joke back. Uh, I can't justify <laughs> so nice, the fact it that it like <laughs> I can't justify the fact that it would like need to be displayed much better to be a successful metaphor. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's something I, that I'm going to interject there. Uh, sorry, yeah. Bailey, and uh, you're okay. N- not quite. If it, <laughs> if you're asking, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I, I I love Malignant. It was like one of my favorite movies of last year, and I think it's kind of precisely what I was talking about. That if you're looking at like the idea of domestic abuse and how that affects someone, you could obviously approach this in a very serious way because that's a very serious topic. But I love that James Wan takes such a silly, campy, fun approach to it with so oh, I much love it. style. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Yeah, yeah, so much style and something so completely outlandish and ridiculous. Um, but in and and but does it in a way that that maintains that sense of tone throughout the entire thing. Like there's not weird ups and downs to where it's very serious and very silly. It's mostly um, like the first scene in that movie. It feels like I'm watching it's insanity. It feels like I'm like, you know, when you're like in the queue at like an amusement park and you're like seeing the screens on the TV and they're like, Oh no, the thing got out of containment or whatever. It, it feels like that for the first like 20 minutes of Stitch's the movie. Stitch's great escape at Disney World. That's what we're talking <laughs> yes. about. That's actually specifically what I was mentioning. Yeah. Let's um, go. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I think that that film is able to address these ideas and these, these deeper uh, meanings uh, and motifs here, but do it in a way that is fun and is, is an easier pill to swallow and does have that sense of, of, of fun there and that sense of play a little bit, but just playing with like this really disgusting, brutal sense of violence there. I, I think it's a, it's not like a completely flawless movie there, but I think if, if you're meaning to entertain an audience, to, to scare an audience, show them something that they've not really seen before, but then something that also feels very familiar and feels nostalgic and feels like a, a great ode to like, you know, old like giallo movies in a way. Um, I think Malignant's very successful in that. If that is what James Wan's intending to do, which I have a hunch that it was. Yeah, so I, I think that's great point counterpoint point counterpoint there. I've not seen this movie, uh, but I, I think like again like a, a point or a, a problem I think that we're running into with horror is like this overwhelming sense of like lack of fun, right? Mm-hmm. So being able to introduce like the heavy content, and heavy subject matter with a sense of fun, I think is really essential moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Uh, but I think there's a, a point that I kind of wanted to interject and in, in, in kind of give to you. Go for to it. Know, to Noah. Um, 
is what's the difference between like a point that is ineffective or a point that we don't agree with? Because there could be a movie that really full sends its point, right? That really does it. I, I, <laughs> don't Look Up comes to mind, which is a movie <laughs> I, I detest with all my being yeah. because it, I think it treats its audience like like they're dumb yeah. <laughs> and I hate that. Yeah. So, uh, but But you know what that movie is trying to say. The message is not... Message is not unclear, right? It, it, it's very, very clear what's going after. But what's the difference between something like that where I'm like, I just don't agree with the delivery and, and, a, and a message that just isn't clear? So do you get what I'm saying? So Absolutely. what's the difference between like a message that's that's uh, something you, dis- you disagree with and something that's just not clear? I think the, the like, we talked about this a little bit, is it's super clear when a movie says like, hey, pause for a second. I'm the guy that's here to tell you what you're watching and why you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that every movie needs that, um, but a lot of movies, specifically horror, um, tend to do that. And that's great because you want your audience to all be on the same page, right? Um, if you don't do that, then you need to have um, you need to have a clear motive in terms of the decisions that characters are making. And um, things like that. I think for me, what comes to mind is something like Jordan Peele's Us, where you get the exposition, you know, 20 minutes till the end of the movie. Yeah. And even then, it's so drawn out because there's so much that has to be explained that you're like, hold on. Now I have to like try to memorize all this, go back and watch the movie and see how this all crosses over. And by the end of it, you know, everybody left confused a little bit. I, that's a movie that I really did not appreciate because here's the thing. It, it like doesn't explicitly tell you what's happening because it's mostly exposition for the plot. But I walked away and I was like, yeah, I mean, I get it. You know, I get it. I understand what, you know, most of what the movie is trying to say. Um, I just think that it doesn't fully cross over into the world of how does this line up with the reason that it is the movie that it is? How does this line up with this plot of, um, you know, these people that look like us, they are us. And, uh, you know, that they're living down the, in this world. There was an experiment. Like, I understand what they're trying to say, but I more than like more than that, I don't understand mm-hmm. what is actually happening. And that's a disconnect that's frustrating. I think that's where you run into issues for me personally. Mm. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you, you, you have a response? Yeah. Um, as far as like movies that I've seen recently that I guess this is more of like the baggage that I'm bringing into the movie um, and like my own kind of opinions and it, don't look up as an interesting example because like I don't disagree with a lot of the points that that movie is making. Right. But same. I think it's delivery is like really clumsy and nonspecific in a way that I'm just like, oh, this is just I, dumb, I think, you know? <laughs> I think it kind of has to be both and, right? So I think it's like both message and delivery. Yeah. Because like if you're delivering something like – as a gift and we're taking the gift and appreciating that's great yeah. if you're delivering something like a, like a spiked baseball bat to the dome <laughs> yeah. it, it becomes a little bit hard, harder to to, to uh, yeah. uh but anyway sorry for, for no sorry no no, for no you're fine i but i think a movie that's recently been an example of like i don't really agree with this like in what i think it's trying to say and also i don't think it's delivered particularly well is the newest uh, texas chainsaw massacre movie that movie takes a lot of jabs at like millennial Gen Z kind of cancel culture thing, but does it in a way that is just like, 
uh, ideologically, I don't super agree with. Um, and it also is just not a very well-made horror movie and there's some good kills and things like that. And so I don't agree with it like politically or ideologically. And I also don't agree with it as a horror fan and as someone who loves the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I'm kind of like, have you guys watched this, any of these movies before? (laughs) Cause they're not this, like, why did you think it was this? Um, and then there are some other movies that I'm like, I'm really there for the message that you're trying to say. And I think I agree with it as far as my own kind of real world baggage that I bring into it. Um, something like old M night Shyamalan's newest movie or Candyman. Um, Candyman is, uh, the newest one is about gentrification and kind of the, the horror of culture being erased when, uh, right. white upper class, na- you know, neighborhoods and apartment complexes are, are, you know, erected in these, uh, uh, in these housing projects. Like I, yeah, that's a 10 point word right there. Erected. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you get points for that one. <laughs> Bailey, you're next. <laughs> nice. That's a, that's yeah, a strictly that's... conversational, a gold star there. <laughs> yeah. so take that I home, put it on the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like I understand, I, I get that point. Uh, and I, I, from my heart and in coming into the movie, I'm, I'm a little bit more open and receptive to hearing that. And then with old, it's like the fear of getting older and like how scary that can be and something that you want to avoid and the horror of watching your family get older and inevitably like, you're probably going to have to bury your parents one day like that. Yeah, that's like a pretty universal, uh, theme and idea that we're, a lot of us are going to have to experience, but it's delivered in such a clumsy way. So again, it's, I think about intentionality that just because you set out to, to tell a story story, um, or to, to, you know, really hit the nail on the head as far as a theme or an idea is concerned, that, that message maybe isn't going to be clearly received in a way, or there might be things that are distracting that, whether that be not great acting or dialogue, or you made points that other movies have also made before, like with Candyman's case. So movies are hard to make and there's a lot of variables there. And, uh, we're kind of all coming to movies from different angles and different experiences that are are going to color that. Um, but you know, I, I think it's, that's why it's so great when a movie does come along that really like delivers on that. And I think everyone, yeah, like everyone is able to connect with it in different ways, but it's still resonant. Like that. I think that that's something that I really do cherish because it doesn't happen a lot. That's, That's a wonderful, wonderful point. Um, so yeah, I think those are good examples of what's the difference between disagreement, what's the difference between ineffectiveness. So I guess to kind of transition. Well, I think it's I was going to say, I think it's, that's a perfect segue into, into thinking like the reason that this conversation at all came up in my head was what happens when you're presented with something like Bailey had, had demonstrated is, um, it's, if it's message and, uh, delivery, right? Here's this gift, but I handled it clumsily, yeah. right? What if it's a gift that like you really don't want? You open it up and it's like a, a mud pie, yeah. right? What happens when you're presented with something? Just a poo pie. Yes. What, what happens when <laughs> Cherry you're... On top. It's an oatmeal cream pie, but it's actually poo. Oh, man. Um, I was dude. like, oatmeal cream pie. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a literal fudge round. Um <laughs> Dude, that was good. So, uh, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> nice. What happens when you're presented with something that's like, oh, you're saying this? That's not great, right? That, like, that's not. I didn't really want that. Yeah, I don't may- think that's maybe, good for maybe anybody. Maybe not that point, right? Yeah, maybe so that was a bit off base. I would like to to kick us off here with kick us off at minute 42 yeah so i'd like to kick us off here <laughs> if this was the movie no, 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 fresh is, the title card would just have started <laughs> this is like the, this is the last this is where we're wrapping up this thing but yeah. here's mine for the day
Hey there, it's me, Noah DeGeorge, your co-host of the Strictly Conversational podcast, in case you forgot. We've had a lot of fun tonight, haven't we? Laughs were had by all, smiles shared across the room, though you can't really see that because this is an audio format. Okay, okay, cut the music, cut the music. Anyways, it's about that time to wrap up the episode, don't you think? I think so, but I can hear you already saying, wait a minute, Noah, you didn't even finish your conversation. We didn't even talk about what you guys were reading, watching, or listening to. We didn't do any of that. Where's that? Well, I'll tell you where it's going to be. Part two of this episode coming next week, where we finish up our discussion on horror movies. Then we're going to talk a little bit about the Oscars, which happened recently. Then we're going to launch into a brand new segment that Bailey and I are very excited about. And we'll cap it all off with what we've been reading, watching, and listening to, as always. So, join us next week, same time, same place. We'll be here if you are. So, well, I mean, we'll be here whether or not you are, but I guess we hope that you are. This is falling apart quickly. Why don't we just end the episode? As always, be good to one another. Don't take yourselves too seriously. And hey, love somebody today. We'll see you next time.